firm and unwavering when we say Black Lives Matter. Welcome to the Truth to Power Show on Radio for Brooklyn. I'm your host, Vijar Nathan. Um, with us today is co-host Corey Cabrales. Welcome, Corey. Hello. Hello, hello. Um, so now our special guest is Joy Jesus, uh, author of uh, Hoax Deck and Hoax Scrolls. Oh, here we have, uh, actually we have, we're joined by, um, to interrupt, we're joined by Scott Raven, called Scott Raven. Welcome, Scott. Hey, VJ, how you doing today? Hey, hey, so we're just uh, starting off. We're welcoming our featured guest, Joey DeJesus, who is the author of Hoax Deck, uh, Hoax Scrolls, Operating System, published in 2022, and Chatbooks, uh, We Animate the uh, Dream, a poster run for public office. It's published by Matt Analog Political Pamphlet Series 2, um, and NLC in 2021. NLCT, The Threshold of Madness by Atlas Review, 2019. Uh, Joy received the 2019-20 Brick um, Project Room Commission and 2017 NIFA uh, Fellowship in Poetry. Poems have appeared in uh, um, Poem a Day, Artist Space, Bower Street, among others. Uh, Newtown Literary Review as well and elsewhere. Joy's senior staff and co-editor of Apogee Journal and sits on the advisory board of No Dear Magazine, Jerry in Ridgewood, where they ran a socialist campaign for New York State Assembly District 38 as an openly queer, uh, genderqueer abolitionist poet. Welcome, Joey. Thank you. Hello. Good morning, Joey. Good morning. morning. Good morning, Eric. Good morning. Good morning. So uh, why don't we start the conversation off a little bit about the intersectionality between uh, poetry and politics. And, you know, you're a poet. You ran as a... Uh, genderqueer abolitionist poet and why don't we unpack that that'll take us perhaps the, a long time yeah. to be able to unpack you know yeah, yeah yeah well you know um when yeah so back in 2020 i ran for new york state assembly district 38 um and it was a marvelous uh eye-opening experience series of experiences um the campaign you know for assembly I really, before, before running, I was thinking about, or, and, you know, while running, I, I thought a great deal about, um, what is the job of the assembly person? And, um, this was something that I actually disagreed. I, I debated this privately with my opponent and one of my opponents. And, um, we just had fundamental disagreements, um, where she thought, you know, it's the job of the assembly person to essentially assemble the law laws, you know, I thought uh, that the role and responsibility of the assembly person is to assemble the people. And so that sort of shaped the motto, the sort of slogan, um, you know, po- that poetry belongs in the people's house, mm. which is what we ran on. Um, this idea that we're going to take over the house, the lower house of the state, um, and fill it with poetry. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's great. I think the, the connection and if you could further unpack poetry in that, in that context. Yes. Um, yeah. So I've been writing for many years and um, over you know, maybe fifth, maybe well, no, over 15 years. And um, as a poet, you know, seriously as a poet and um, there are certain skills you acquire. Mm. 
public speaking, comfort, com- you know, uh, comfort with others, um, sharing your words, sharing your work, making yourself vulnerable to an audience, uh, listening, practices of listening, um, listening to others, listening to non-human life, listening to the environment, li- li- just s- sensibilities. Um, the practice of poetry requires attention to sense of our sensibilities. And, um, and so I guess that's where it kind of be, where I see these, this like first major intersection or for me at least is, is that it, the, the, the application of skills practiced in my writing and recitation and performance of poetry mm-hmm. made it quite, just just trans they were trans they were translatable um yeah. also the work of poets um you know into this other this seemingly other arena of life mm. right i i i think that um poets today have you know what is publication publication is the making public of the word right and so for many years especially we were speaking beforehand about you know going to grad school and you know in grad school, I learned uh, a, uh, a great deal about publishing. Um, and the, the, the idea was, you know, as a poet, you want to make your, you want to get your words out there. You want to publish your work. But what does that mean? What does it, what does it mean to make public your words? Does it mean sort of kowtowing to, to institutions like the Poetry Foundation, which sit on hundreds of millions of uh, like, like I think it's a three hundred million dollar endowment from the from the Ruth from Ruth and Eli Lilly company, right? And so you spend your a career, you spend a whole career just trying to get into these pages of of work, you know, to to, to showcase your work. Mm. Um, and I don't know, I, I you don't necessarily consider where the money where where is the money coming from that's financing your the publication of your poetry, mm. um. Because they say there's no money in poetry, but I I beg to differ, and and so so then I started thinking about like you know if you're publishing if you choose to let's say publish with Milkweed Editions and your book receives an award and that award um, is named after a famous union busting com- uh, firm, mm. then then is your poetry not then propaganda for union busting? If you if you platform if you choose if you you know, I don't think ignorance is, you can't just sort of say, oh, I was ignorant of where the money came from, mm. where the check came from. I suppose you can remain ignorant, but I, I suspect you said you became a serious poet. Yes. It seems to me inextricable of being a serious poet is to become observant yes. of social movements. And one of those movements is the, the relationship between justice and injustice. And it seems to me that you've been observant and recognizing inconsistencies with, um, um, how can I say, propaganda that um, promotes injustice, mm-hmm. yet they seems to be the only vehicle where you can publish. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I, I suspect that must have been um, stressful for you. I don't know. So um, yes, I guess the point I'm saying in terms of listening to what you have said so far is that there's a relationship between poetry and becoming a social, and somehow becoming a social critic. Mm-hmm. So observe you become a, 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 an astute observer mm-hmm. of the of the inconsistencies of the injustices. Um, does that make any sense? Yes, I think that's beautiful and 
took the words right out of my mouth. I mean, it's yeah. gorgeous. I, I completely agree. And similar, I think I also make a connection when you were saying, um, when you're making a, making a parallel between the role of the assemblyman and the role of the poet, you know, you're saying the assemblyman, according to your opponent's definition, was summoning the law, and, and you were saying it was summoning the people. Uh, in the poetry, the role of the poet, I wonder whether or not the poet is there to uh, assemble their own internal experiences or the experience of the collective. Mm. You can speak to that, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a great question. I, I, I think it's both, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mediation of both. And, and... and what yeah, is the yeah. collective? Yeah, how do we even assess... Like what other people are going through, like everyone uh, in our community might be going through different things and we have to kind of then mediate, like how does this, our neighbor on this side of the spectrum, uh, kind of how do we represent them? How do we get represent their interests? Whereas, and moderate it with the, the, on the other end of the spectrum, someone who might be struggling or someone who's might be, uh, you know, the struggle, struggle versus privilege kind of spectrum, um, yes. spectrum of privilege, you know, how can we well, uh, mediate between that? Yeah. 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 Um, these are all great questions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How about empathy? What, I don't know I can answer, but what's the role of empathy in all this? I'm wondering, I'm wondering if poetry mm. facilitates one becoming much more empathic with another person's um, um, yes, absolutely. experiences. You know, and then to, to be, then you recognize, you see a connection between your suffering and the other person's suffering. Yes. And I guess, I guess that leads to some sort of collective experience. Yes. And I think, and that's where my relationship to poetry emerges. I, when I say I, you know, I was started, you know, I started taking poetry very seriously. It was after losing, when I was in a teenager, I lost um, my cousin to cancer and she was a poet. And so the first poem that I meditated on seriously, you know, and re re recited and practiced and revisited was her, the poem that she wrote on her deathbed. And so, yes, um, I, I think that was for me this sort of experience in empathy because I, I, she gave me this gift of poetry after her passing. Mm. So you recognized it too. And, and it was, it was, unsettling on one hand because how can someone give you something once they've gone but at the same time it's that was an invitation for me to start unpacking these sort of preconceived ideas of the like linear time and how i <laughs> experience time and right like it opens these um it you opened my faculties for empathy to practice it you yeah. were becoming a poet yeah and empathy, of course, you know, um, was extremely useful while running for office. I mean, running to represent. I mean, speaking about like interests that are, you know, I ran in a in a neighborhood. I, I mean, I lost, so mo many most voters did not vote for me. Um, but not because I want to say that it's not because, you know, I think it's just because our message didn't hit enough people, mm. and we were we were dramatically out. Uh, financed mm -hmm. um but you know it's it's interesting it's an interesting issue i met with many people on who hold very different um political beliefs than i do who i ran to represent and i'd find a lot of support among people that i would not have sort of expected mm -hmm. um for instance i uh in glendale um Queens, where which is one of the neighborhoods I ran to represent, 
Um, there are many uh, conservatives and Republicans um, who just, you know, they hear the word socialist, they hear the word abolitionist, they, you know, and they, they just become you know, enraged, it seems. Um, individually, they wouldn't have the, the same reactions as mm-hmm. we caught them as, you know, in a group, like at a CB5 meeting where everybody was disparaging the arrival of uh, and construction of two um, homeless shelters, for instance. Um, but I campaigned on, you know, for, for the, to, to democratize our energy grid with the Public Power Coalition. So that was taking on Con Ed and National Grid. When I was speaking with, you know, it's, it's about finding, you know, empathy is about sort of finding the commonality, seeing yourself in the other. I was j- talking with my friend Layla, another amazing poet in New York, Layla Ortiz, highly recommend listening to her read and, you know, her work. Um, and we were talking about writing and um, why we do it, especially in this time of, of death all around us and, and the the destruction of rights and the attacks on, on, bo- on our bodies. And, and we were talking about, you know, writing with the intent of recognizing ourselves in, in another life, you know, in the event that in another life, might, should we pick up the, this book, we might recognize ourselves in, in our own, in, in this work. Um, and yeah, it's, 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 it's just, it's just, it's essential. Empathy is essential. And it's, it's about finding that common ground. And I was able to build support for, and for you know, d- dismantling Con Ed and, and, and creating a public, you know, build public renewables and, and, um, uh, you know, democratizing and decommodifying our energy grid so that it's not just run through a, a monopoly. Mm. Um, and, you know, Conservatives loved that, especially in Glendale, where the lines, the electric lines are, are the insulation on all the lines is like falling off or, mm. you know, so, so empathy is essential because then you, yeah. it, then, you know, I start, I lead with that conversation, finding the common ground. Oh, they don't, they also are opposed to these monopoly energy companies that are raising the ra- rates and are part of the problem that push people out onto the streets. It's a part of what what you know this homelessness problem is the our utility bills and and um you know so so yeah the pedagogical then you do the pedagogical you can do the pedagogical work of connecting the dots for the other right um but yeah it's it's a lot i do want to get into um the word abolitionist and kind of get into that as well you know you were talking about that in terms of a wide spectrum of uh, like prisons mainly, and also, um, yeah, talk a little bit. Maybe talk a little bit about. It. Yeah, so I ran. Um, I was compelled to run after losing my cousin Crystal Ruiz. Mm. Um, she was incarcerated on Rikers Island mm. for a crime she did not commit. Uh, detained, you know, pre-trial, could not make bail. It was a violent crime, and um, uh, <sighs> an author composed a hit piece because my cousin was amazing, mm. and she was. Uh, working on installing solar panels and in the city. And she was teaching formerly incarcerated people to do the work um, through a company. I, uh, I can't remember the name of it, like energy grid solutions or some, she'd built a profile for herself um, because uh, she, Mark Ruffalo, the Hulk um, became a huge fan of the work she was doing as a young person. I mean, she was young and 
she had it really rough in this life. I'm go- I may start crying if I think about it too long. Yeah. Um, and, sh- and she, after being released, so, you know, she, the, her case came up. The judge was like, what is this? And they released her. Um, but the piece, this hit piece had been produced on her, which is still up to this day. And um, she took her life mm. um, because she could not, she could not return to work. She was then on the verge of homelessness. She'd been reintroduced to hard drugs in, on, in Rikers Island mm. and traumatized on Rikers Island. Had felt as though she had nowhere to go as a queer 22-year-old. Oh. And um, five years, um, 10 years after, you know, her, her father, my uncle, died. And it's so sick. He used to work in Rikers. You see how these cycles mm. function. It's like, it's like a cycle of violence that has just that deteriorated my family. Yeah. Took my uncle and then took his daughter. Mm. And, and um, after she, yeah, after she took her life, I decided to um, run. I decided to run. Arriving at the, uh, because I, want, I wanted to do everything in my power to shut Rikers down. And I still do. And I knew that, you know, as a, as a sitting assembly person, I could go there unannounced and, and raise hell. Um, but, um, and the path to this sort of experience or this fervor, you know, has been difficult. You know, I'm a victim of a home invasion in which I was, uh, held hostage and tortured in 2012. Um, I had to go to court because one of the people did not, I didn't have to go to court. I chose to go to court, which is, you know, directly in opposition to, I think, you know, I think... It was a part of this process. It was, you know, that was 10 years ago. It was a part of this experience of arriving at the work of abolition and restorative justice. Mm. You know, there was one person involved in this crime that I just could not forgive. And, um, yeah, and I still don't forgive him. Um, and, yeah, I'd be curious, yeah. like, how you're able to curate this experience, this life experience, this traumatic um, kind of processing and then kind of like bring it out into the community to like understand this is not this is not um atypical of the experience that many people that many people have these kind of traumatic you know kind of processing of of the prison system of the of the way in which they otherize people who have committed crimes um you know and kind of you know and make and then the prison system itself is like industrial multi million dollar industrial complex that is like obviously not. Yeah. Not have the best intentions, no. shall we say? Yeah, they're they're kind of it's sitting disgusting. there trying to profit. I don't off. think we'll ever. I don't think yeah. we can be free if there are prisons that, yeah. on this land. This the the so long as prisons exist, yeah, we will not be free. The work of abolition is not. Yes, it is. It is directly you know closing and prisons and um, uh, decarcerating and um in. You know, as at, at the same at the same time, it's like every time in New, you know we're in New York. Every time you take you need to get anywhere, you have to pass through armed bars and checkpoint. Mm. Right? It's in the built environment. Yeah, there are bars out. At, there are bars at every subway station. And just, there's, there's, and just, and just for the audience, I'm just curious, I just want to uh, perhaps help us clarify. When you say prisons, uh, we're not talking about state or city prisons. So we include oh. them. We're talking about pro- profit, 
and private profit prisons. Yes, I'm anti-carceral. I do not believe in. I do not believe in particular, and that people should people cannot be kept in cages, mm. and and no one kept in a cage. We cannot expect anyone held in a cage for an extended period of time to perform any any sort of. Any, I don't. I don't think it's it's fair to ex- expect anyone held in in a cage to perform at any standard in society. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I agree with that, but I just I'm curious what the like what is the system in which you advocate for for dealing with violent or uh, well, or I think we, that's or, the work of the, that, that's what I mean. Yeah. So the the breadth of abolition work includes uh, imagining worlds at the yeah. end of this one. Mm. Because abolition is, call, is, 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 is work that, in, I think, that calls for the complete and total eradication of a system, of, yeah. a, of a world, yeah. a colonized world. Mm. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, I think the work of decolonization is entangled in, in um, abolition I, work. I can see that, that connection because, you know, it's the subjugation of a population of people mm-hmm. and, the, and the profiting off their backs of labor. Mm-hmm. And also, um, I can see the connection between, um, you know, kind of the colonization, colonizing land. And, oh, yes. And the slaughter of, of indigenous peoples uh, and the slavery of the African people, uh, African-American people, the people that they brought in from Africa here and they enslaved them. And the, the connection between that and the prison. Um, and then hopefully we can think a little bit larger. You know, when they have the um, when they have the defund the police motto, people were asking me, like, well, what is what, what are you going to do when? you know, people commit these crimes. But mm-hmm. the point is to imagine beyond that. What I'm getting from what you're saying is right. imagine like interventions that are not held to gunpoint. Right. There's not a gun, right. a gun involved. You know? Right. I mean, I yeah. was, I was doing, working at um, a school last fall in uh, Flat, East Flatbush through mm-hmm. the 92nd Street Y. There was mm-hmm. one English teacher yeah. for an entire floor of students and about seven or eight security officers, you know, that were always patrolling mm-hmm. the building you know they it the the students are being set up yeah and in and the school itself yeah. was was a like a penitent i mean it was giving penitentiary that's the direction i wanted to go to because yeah you brought up the, this, this idea of cage yeah and now I, I, i'm thinking not just literally but connotatively yeah. there are other cages in schooling um, yeah. people who go to the train you know they go to work uh, 16 hours a day yeah um that's not Typical. It's quite typical, yeah. and they go from one cage, mm-hmm. you know, be, their labor to another cage, mm-hmm. um, which is you know wh- what they call home, mm-hmm. you know. And mm-hmm. I, I think um, the, those are cages as well. Yeah, economic freedom is part of that, right? Yeah. Economic, the ability to choose, the ability to not be slave to your work, but rather, you know, we have work jobs or occupations that are. At like below or at poverty level, right? And then they and people cannot escape, right? You know, they, Teaching much, at CUNY, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm I was yeah. I was a professor in CUNY where yeah. we made poverty wages, and when we when we fought in the seven mm. k strike, you know, we fought for seven k per class yeah. a semester. The seven k strike movement. This was crushed yeah. by our own union, yeah. our own union that refused to endorse me. You know, thanks PSC, but um <laughs> CUNY, but uh um for all that you do. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's all just, you know, it's horrible. And then you, 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 you teach for poverty wages and then the students all kind of assume that you're making 
six to eight to 12 times what you're actually making. Oh. And, and then they can then turn around and, you know, within, within a few months, within like a year, have a, have a badge and a gun in, at their, at their oh. holster. And, and, and the cops and the military are always outside ready to recruit. Yeah. You know? Before I forget, I, I do want to um, applaud you on your agency. Oh. You know, yeah. given the experiences you've shared so far, thank you for, for doing that. I, I just, I think it's admirable that you, that you maintain your agency. Yeah. And thank I, you. I wish more folks were like that. I'm sure they are. I just, we need more. Yeah. Thank you. You're still out there advocating. You're still out there kind of doing the good fight. And I think that's very important to applaud as well that uh, a lot of people feel like uh, overwhelmed or, and what is the way with self care? What can we talk a little bit about Oof. that? How yeah, you that's to, where I'm, that's where I'm bad. Yeah. I, I smoke, I smoke all the time, a yeah. lot of weed. <laughs> <laughs> I smoke a lot of weed. Yeah. Um, and especially after the campaign. I mean, when I was campaigning, I was campaigning, you know, open, I would smoke on the campaign trail. Weed was still illegal. Yeah. And my opponents were of course criminalizing me, yeah. um, for that. Uh, mm. And, you know, um, it is what it is. But, but yes, yeah, self-care has not, I've, I've been struggling with that, especially these past couple of... Uh, pandemic years? Yeah, the pandemic yeah, years. Yeah. Um, it's hard to, you know, I, I got COVID in the first, couple, I think the first week of it, you know, mm. Epicenter, I was out petitioning. So my whole team got sick. Um, and, um, yeah, it was, it was just awful. And, and now I feel slower. I feel like my mind is slower and I need more rest, um, in order to just function and, you know, uh, so I think that's really, it just, I, self-care has just been like slowing down a lot these past so I just remind listeners of the Truth to Power show. We're here with uh, featured guest Joy DeJesus. Uh, we're also here in conversation with uh, Scott Raven on the phone and Corey um, Cabrales and I'm VJR Nathan. Um, you know, we're talking. I want to give you a chance, Joey, to to read a, a poem or two. Okay. Maybe like we can even spend a few minutes, uh, five minutes or so, on some poetry from your your big book, your huge <laughs> book. It's like a large. It's like a very how many pages is it? Uh three seventy something. <laughs> three seventy something. Wow. Yeah. Uh, that's, nice that's, cover. I like that cover. Thank that, you. That I did it. Would I you made talk it. would you talk more about that if you can? Yeah. So um the cover of the book is a grid of a it's a um uh, several concentric circles that are divided into grids. And in each grid is a like a semic like light writing or just um kind of uh mystical um sigil making sort of thing and then um each each one is a title to a piece of a, an individual piece and then um there's a corresponding card divination card so and and the, and it's a star map it's a functional star map so um you can read you know the book is the book but you can read the objects through different practices. Like if you have a planchette and want to use a planchette on the, on the thing, then you can just find the corresponding poem. On the image, you can then find the corresponding poem. Or you can like throw stones or bones or just draw cards. Um, 
but I like this this sort of ch- the chance and uh, that 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 no reader would have that no two readers will have the same um, reading essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll read uh, from the I'll read one I'll read some of those. Um, let's see. I'm okay. So this one's called Aselli. An overwrought laureate of votive clauses, I downed white wine mid-apocalypse, thinking to draft my word the way a falconer launches her bird, who makes sport of ringing skylarks with broad wings that I might recognize myself in history. Workers contracted to airport runways in neon vests, weighed into muck in their muckmasters to startle screeches of gulls. A crab in the ladder's clutch reaches up to finally reclaim its name, that at the very least it be held in the damned mouth right. Um, and then this one, we were speaking a little bit before about um, Taino mythologies. I'm yes. Taino, um, Puerto Rican, Boricua, um, but born and raised in New York. Um, and this poem, if I can find it, is, uh, inspired by the caciques who were like the chiefs, um, of the Taino people. And the caciques weren't just, you know, older people. They were also younger people. And, um, famously the colonizer, you know, kills the last of the caciques, um, by well through several means and i just wanted to um i was thinking about the story of anacaona who was i think dominican she was a cacique in, uh in the in Quisqueya, you know the, the, what's now the dr in, in haiti um but but so yeah this poem is kind of imagining her they burned her alive um and before her heirs in front of her heirs um so oh no they 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 burned her heirs before killing her excuse me um so this goes they burned my heirs alive this and it's called albalda which is a star they burned my heirs alive before filing me into their holiest flame for i cleaved a scoundrel's chest magically armed my tactics thankless after conquest. Inside this fire, I thought many things, myself the ignition, milliliters of acolyte rising in the sky, climbing a pillar of smoke as thought turned to feeling embers fanned collateral, rendering hidden cruelties plain. I exhaled, exuviating the maze and cane, kindling below now, nothing can disturb me, goddess of fire best imagined as the bats who sip wonderment's texture of ghost moth sea and whose every word uncovers a little more of the world spectacular as it is sounded and then i'm going to read one last one um to sort of in solidarity with um uh, all of um, the people who are 
directly impacted by the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Mm. Um, so this one has a word in it that's, you know, uncouth, but it's spelled with an X, not an I. So I'm like querying it. And this one's called Al-Qaeda. And, and it's to encourage... Um, it's to encourage... I'm just going to say I'm just going to read. Um, Al-Qaeda. A bad bitch dispatched to sow negligence among men. The envy of beauties in session. Entertaining exaggerated poses when wonderment struck. Disposing matters such that shock developed power shout. I feigned madness creating confusion about motivations and intentions, luring others into underestimating my abilities, dart throwing with deadly accuracy. I apply mascara in the dark, then butterfly stitch a lace negligee. Can't have a good weep cause this mask I wear. Can't shout a good wepa cause I'm already an axe-like weapon in the air. Who am I? And whose head do I have by its hair? Wepa. <laughs> wepa. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you. So yeah. Thank you. Great. Great. Um, so I also, if Scott has anything to add, if you want to ask a question, I just invite Scott into the room for a moment. Is Scott still there? Yep. I was here. I was just on mute because it's in a noisy environment, but uh, yeah. taking this all in and thank you for sharing. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm uh, taken by, yeah, all, all, all you've been saying and, and you know, you were mentioned. You know, during the campaign, you've been you were using principles. You know, principles of poetry. I, mm-hmm. I'm curious if there was further intersection of if you've delivered uh, poems specifically at uh, any kind yes. of uh, political events and and how that kind of was organized and, and structured. You know, um, was it around a, a night of reading or just mm. furthermore on kind of that intersection? Because I love your words as well, and and just want to hear. Um, a little bit about that yeah that's great that's a great those are great that's a great question um yes absolutely absolutely there was a lot of poetry involved so um when it came to the endorsement all of the endorsement process um going to um all of the different organizations and at you know to advocate for my campaign um involved the recitation of poetry and and speeches you know um and then additionally there were um, some events uh, that were organized by, for instance, um, what was that? Quip Queens United Independent Progressives, um, who who uh, had several leftist candidates come together to just meet, you know, on and they would do that on a couple occasions, and and at each of those events, each candidate would sort of present themselves to the room. And um, so in that capacity there too, I mean, when I was campaigning, um, you know, in Ridgewood, unfortunately, uh, because of the pandemic, we couldn't have, we couldn't celebrate. We couldn't celebrate all the things. That's, I think, the biggest regret or or pain um, was that there there wasn't an opportunity or time. There wasn't, it was, it felt impossible to, to, to celebrate all of our wins um, as we were doing it, um, only in retrospect did, did that kind of appreciate, I could, I like really appreciate what it was that we were all doing. Um, but, but yeah, like, um, there were a few events that we did one, um, 
you know, once we, once everything switched to online, uh, we had a big uh, poetry, music, DJing sort of online Zoom room event um, campaign. And, and there were a few others. Uh, and then, um, yeah, the, there were a few protests as well um, where, where I would recite poetry. Um, the art workers protest, for instance. Uh, I can't remember if that was during the actual duration of the campaign um, or immediately, like immediately afterwards. Um, but yeah, it was always, I feel like, pr- present and practiced. And then, and then there was just, you know, campaigning itself, you know, doing the field. So meeting people on the street. And that would be, you know, and that would involve conversations. And when people ask, like, what is it that you do? Or, you know... Sometimes poems would, you know, I would recite for people if they were like, mm-hmm. can you recite a poem for me? You know, um, oh, you're a poet. Yeah, Why don't you recite a poem? And I'd, be, and I'd be like, sure thing. Will I, will you come, will you vote for me? Um, so yeah, it was uh, definitely every, and then also the community of poets that supported the campaign. The largest, the second largest donor to my campaign was Hanif Abdurraqib, you know? The, the the MacArthur winner, recent MacArthur winner, um, and and just an amazing, and we go way back, you know, and 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 I had support from members in the community at the Poetry Project, and and there were just so many poets who either were donating to the to the cause or um, their their material resources or their time. Sarah Jane Stoner came out, um, Ariel came out. Uh, there were just so many poets that that showed up in the field um, to meet voters. That that was really ama- that was also ama- just amazing. And then you know after every canvassing event, I, I I was very intentional about building relationships with you know I live in Ridgewood. There are you know the Queens Brewery Queens Brewery was right there, huge long tables that could seat twenty something people. So they were they were just perfect for organizing. And um, there were some nights where like the Queens Brewery had like an open mic night, and um, they at once asked me to come up and speak just about the campaign after a, after a petitioning day. Um, cause we were pretty much operating out of there for, for, well, until the pandemic struck. Um, so yeah, it was just a lot of poetry everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Totally infused. I know. I love hearing that, that it was a, like kind of a one-on-one connection in the street as well as, you know, before crowds and, and, and at events. Was there any, was there every, uh, ever any intersection within the prisons, um, of that poetry, uh, uh, one of my favorite one of my favorite scenes is from the movie Slam. Uh-huh. I don't know if uh, you're familiar with, where the poet Saul Williams kind of he, he's able to dissipate a prison conflict by delivering kind of just like a performance poem in the middle of a in the middle of a, a field, um, mm. where like a scuffle was just about to happen. Yeah. It was just my first like entry into seeing wow the power of poetry in this environment for people to hear words. Um, at that moment, um, just wondering if there was yeah. any uh, connection in there. Yeah, thank you. You know that. Thank you for bringing that up because there is. And you know, I, I'm a co-editor at Apogee Journal, where recently um, our not the most recent. We just put out a, a, a new issue um, a couple, I think, last week or maybe last Wednesday. Um, but the issue before that, Inside Out, um, featured only incarcerated writers, and it was something that we did uh-huh. in collaboration with Prison Renaissance. And um, amazingly, one of our collaborators, um, Gavin, the Gov- Governor Gavin Newsom, commuted his sentence, uh, or exonerated, you know, 
commuted his sentence. So now he's a free man or to be a free man. I don't know if he's actually right. out yet. Um, but I believe that I firmly believe that the most imperative po- poetry that to be read, that needs to be read and spread is being composed in prisons across this country. Um, you know, there was a poet involved in the project. Her name is April Harris. Um, and she's been doing amazing work at reporting out of, um, reporting her experience surviving COVID while incarcerated in a women's prison in California. Um, you know, our, our, the issues that we printed, cause we produced these beautiful gorge. I mean, they're gorgeous issues and, and, um, we couldn't even get them to our Michigan contributors, our contributors in Michigan, because the um, corrections department there uh, uh, alleges that we promote violence. Um, so, so they just refused to allow, you know, these are poems about missing loved ones or not being able to hold your child or uh, d- dying and watching people die f- from COVID in close proximity to, you know, their bodies um, and and somehow you know so the, the work was censored. Um, that was you know so yes, there's there's a lot of um, overlap, but I but in in like my, in my work, uh, yeah. And so yeah, I, and and it was and there were so many people that that were involved in this um, uh, from from Apogee and from Prison Renaissance and and yeah, it was just a great. It's just important Great, work. Thank you, yeah. thank you. I think it's important to recognize, at least for me, and I wanna, again, I want to express my appreciation. Uh, when I think of a, a poet, I think of someone sitting like somewhere in Central Park. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's somewhere you know, in, in, the, in, in the mountains, or it's, you know, in a privileged ecology. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, it's, I don't think I think it, it becomes dormant in some way. You know, I forget. I hate to say that, but I forget um, that there's art yeah. in places like a prison, um, and I need to be remembered. I need to be reminded. So thank you for that. I, I'm I'm hoping the audience would also. I suspect m- many folks in the audience would also be, uh, appreciate that. So thank you for reminding me that there's art in places that we have forgotten. Mm, yeah, and also I want to bring up. Um you know, this it's funny because like the uh, I asked the question generally to all of our uh, guests, what belief or practice did you have as stranger and popular with the industry? And I feel like you're very much against the grain and pretty much everything you've been saying. But uh, you had a very interesting comment about being a teacher or being a professor, uh, being a teacher at CUNY, and how that kind of leads to how you're able to curate the youth experience. In a way that prepares them, I think. So you use the word grooming, but uh, yeah, oh, yes. kind of ironic way. Yes, yeah, we I, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, well, it's Pride Month, and like I um, I'm um, I, I've just I've been thinking about this a lot as you know the term groomer has been used now to mm. um, call for my murder in the streets. I yeah. mean, all the murder and you know they're literally calling there are people across this country calling for the murder of queer people in the streets. Yeah, people running for office, mm. and and. Um, I think about, I was thinking a lot about this term groomer as a you know derogatory term, yeah. and and I'm realizing that it's this sort of like we were speaking before about like these like paranoia, the, these sort of like 
paranoid thoughts that mm. I have, and, and I have, I have, you know, as a poet, a particular attention to language and words and the, and the work that the words are doing in the world. And so, you know, I remember when social distancing came out, I was like, well, it's not social distancing that we need. We need physical distancing, not social distancing. And there was this sort of like almost like a COINTELPRO kind of PSYOP um, uh, f- fear, like fear inducing around, in, into, the, into the general population around the term social, right? Socialist. Mm-hmm. That's what they wanted us to fear. Um, you know, cause we needed physical, pro- we needed like sort of pro- proximate distancing, not, not, um, social distancing. And so I'm thinking a lot about groomer in the same sort of paranoid, um, you know, I think, uh, it's what's Eve Sedgwick, repa- Eve Sedgwick offers us reparative readings, the, 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 the scholar, um, and then reparative readings and paranoid reading. So I'm, I'm performing the paranoid reading. Um, but, but, um, I think the same thing about this term groomer, which is, um, you know, I think code for getting ed- educa- educators like myself out of the, forcing us out of the profession. It is already extremely difficult having a mm. Spanish last name to hold, for, for me to hold a position in an English department. And, and um, in addition to that, right, like as a openly queer person who's teaching, you know, WBEB, Du Bois, Souls of Black Folk, uh, Audre Lorde, you know, first essay I always read with my students is The Transformation of Silence into Language in Action. And then I ask them, you know, they have their immediate writing prompt is, what are the words you do not yet have? Which is a direct quote from the text. What are the truths you need to say? What are the tyrannies you swallow day by day and attempt to make your own until you will sicken and die of them still in silence? And so they're trying to keep me out of educating. You know, they don't want me educating the children. And, and professors it is our job to prof- it, that is what we do we are groomers we are paid to professionalize young people and old people you know all students of all ages we're paid to to profession to groom them into professional adults or you know people in society who do not want to go out into the street and have me executed. So b- b- based on, you know, who I choose to love or how, what I choose to do with my body or how I choose to augment my body, you know, nobody's, nobody's, uh, you know, the, all the, it's just so much. I can like really yeah. spiral. Um, it's just so, so yeah, I'm thinking a lot about what it means to like groomer pride. What is mm. groomer pride? Mm. You know, this pride. I think I have groomer pride because I have taught what thousands of students across New York now at this point in my career and and um not proud of every single one of them but i'm you know proud of the work that i've done and i'm and i'm gonna continue teaching so mm. yeah you know. it's interesting um you know we're trying the, the education system and all these different mod- modalities are there to prepare those young people to enter society but also it's, it's interesting since, like, you know, I think these kinds of skills are just professional skills, what you're saying. Yeah. They're professionals to be able to, you know, be able to, uh, you know, a lot of people think of uh, ideology. Is not, I, not, I don't hear any kind of ideology. I hear them. What I'm hearing, and I just want to reflect back, yeah. is that it's not ideologically driven in the sense that, that, that you know, a lot of people have this myth, myth the myth, uh, this kind of perspective that there's liberal agenda and all this kind of thing. Which is ridiculous because I think it's like uh, what we're trying to what we're trying to teach is the ability to respect and and be professional and have this kind of uh, adult education into society, be it's a social yeah. in that sense. So I think it's it's like you know a lot of our listeners might be 
thinking themselves a lot of that narrative around, you know, that schools are teaching ideology, but that's not, uh, that's not, I think the truth, you know? Yeah. yeah I agree. Yeah. I agree. And uh, unfortunately we have this kind of reactionary um, politics where people are retreating into safe spaces in the sense of like conservative space spaces. Mm-hmm. And they're creating like these havens like Fox news and, and like uh, now the, the Trump is starting this truther uh, Facebook, like uh, social media, all these places where conservatives feel like they can just spout out their stuff, but they're not integrating it into society uh, in the way in, in, in the way that you're advocating for, like advocating for integrating with our neighbor and understanding their perspective and their um, politics, and that whole that whole negotiation between the um, the and I don't want to call it two sides because it's multifaceted, but you know we we've been curated to believe that politics is about two parties. Right. When in fact it's about the people is what I'm hearing. Right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And if we think about it in terms of the two parties, we're I think just gonna expedite the destruction of this planet. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. You know, because I you know, the democratic establishment, I ran as a Democrat for clarity. Mm-hmm. Um, but they did everything in their power. Yeah. Including putting a spy on me. Yeah. To 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 Ouch. yeah. Talk about paranoid. Um it was it's true. It's true. You know, I leaked information to the spy knowing it was going to go back. And when it did, I was like, you see, to my campaign manager who didn't want to believe it. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's the, you know, my, I lost to a, a fascist sympathizer. So, you know, I, and I think, I think that is a lot of what the democratic establishment is. Yeah. Fascist sympathizing. Yeah. Because ultimately they're bankroll. We have to follow the money and get Yeah, follow the money. Understand where they're getting their money from. All the money. It's no, just, yeah, yeah, yeah yep. exactly, exactly. Yeah, yep, exactly. It's wild. So let me just. I guess uh, as I'm, yeah, as go I'm, ahead. Go yeah, I guess as, as I'm hearing this, I know. I know. Just to clarify, you know, when we were just speaking of that, we were speaking of um, higher education. You know, at the at the collegiate level. I know Jorge and I. We have both experience. You know, working with both high school, middle school students as well. Mm-hmm. I think the conversations, I guess, a little bit different when we're speaking with with, with younger people, mm-hmm. especially. Uh, knowing that they're at various uh, maturity levels, depending even what grade what grade they're in, some kids do grow up you know faster than others. But you know there there is a way uh, and and a different way with which to to speak and to interact, I guess, with with the youth, um, as opposed to you know what what you're saying. Um, wonder if you you have any experience kind of within that realm as yes. well. Um, but, you know, the, the pre-collegiate uh, level as well. Yes, yes. Um, I, uh, so last, um, last fall, I was in, um, working with high school kids um, mm-hmm. in, in East Flatbush. And that was a very um, elucidating experience for me with regard to the ways in which I saw these students being set up to fail. I received a very, you know, I'm very fortunate in the education that I had. You know, I put the right blocks in the right hole in kindergarten and got into Fieldston, so, so right. a, which is a fancy private school in the Bronx where, you know, my kindergarten classroom had, was a butterfly cage. So I raised a butterfly, you know, from, from an egg and then was allowed to like just read books while, while butterflies were just flying around me. Why is this... This, is, this 
level, this type of experience should be available to every single New York child in New York. That's right. And and not just the children of the elite for you know, and I'm so, and I and I and me right because I'm because I'm not you know that and and it's like I and I'm supposed to be grateful because that I'm there right like all these other you know I was I was uh, I was uh, I guess there was so much race racial violence that I was subjected to in that environment as I got older that I was primed for, for at a very young age for this type of work and um. So, so I just kind of want to also offer that as a way of thinking about, you know, what's happening with young people. Like I'm a product of my education too. Um, Mm -hmm. and, but yeah, I have a, I, you know, I, I work with, um, younger people and I think it, it goes without question how many, uh, you know, the, the sort of the normative, um, ideals, um, and, and, uh, ideologies that that are that students are exposed to and and indoctrinated and but then um they don't have access to you know a counselor when they need to speak about their their identity their questions around their identity yeah so so you know i think that's really um for me that's that's i guess how i working with younger students it's i guess it's it is very different because you know, I was in the school where I was working, there was, and I don't even know if I should be divulging this, but I don't think I'm divulging anything to, you know, there was a family, there was one, there were two siblings in one of the classes that I was in, and never did those two children, never would we catch those two children at school on the same day, because one of them always had to remain home to take care of their ill mother, right? Mm -hmm. So the conditions are very different when you're dealing, you know, when you're Went with yes, you know, I've had college students who are um, unhoused. Um, you know, I, yes, I, there are, but but the issues are very different, and and what's what what are, what's available to the students and what they can do, um, it's very different when you're a minor versus when you're uh, um, an adult. But I do think that with regard to like to language, you know, I'm not, I'm I feel very fr- comfortable, you know, speaking freely with my with older students and it's why I prefer to work with older students than, than younger students, because I don't, you know, I swear I have a potty mouth. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's, um, that's, that's enough of a reason for me to be like, you know, I'd rather not have to like walk on eggshells, you know? Um, I do want to, I do want to, before we we're like a few minutes out or five minutes out, but I just want to set Ryan listeners listening ready for Brooklyn Independent listener-supported radio. Um, this is the Truth to Power show. Radio Free Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community, promote media literacy, education, free expression, and public art. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. Every dollar helps us to stay on air and allows us to continue our work in the community. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all contributions are tax-deductible. Please support with a monthly pledge or one-time donation at donate. If you're an Amazon shopper and would like to donate in a way that costs you nothing, go to readyforbooking.com slash Amazon and register readyforbooking as your Amazon Smile charity. Um, make sure you download the apps on your iPhone or Android and the respective Play Stores and sign up for our newsletter at readyforbooking.org slash newsletter. Also, um, did you know that June is, is uh, among other things, is Men's Health Month? Um, the Cancer Services Pro- Program of Brooklyn, CSP, Hopes you will use this time to take a positive step towards preventing all forms of cancer, including colorectal. Historically, men have less likely 
to get screened for colorectal cancer, yet men contract it more often than women. If you're over 45 years of age, we encourage you to call your health care provider to schedule screening. If you're under 45, contact your provider to discuss your risks and when you should start. For men in Kings County, age 45 and older, without insurance, the CSP may be able to help you with the free colorectal cancer screening for those who qualify. Please contact the CSP at 718-250-8708 or learn more at 10URL.com slash NYCancerScreening. Uh, the CSP supported funds from New York State. Thank you. Um, so we have about a few minutes, like a minute or two left. Um, Joey, can you tell us a little bit about where we can uh, follow you? Um, yeah, I'm on Twitter uh, at Jesus Saves, and inst- I have an Instagram, um, which is the same handle. And um, Wednesday at 1 p.m., I'm g- going to be with um, performing with uh, my dear friends Layla Ortiz, who I mentioned. Um, earlier uh shanika mcintosh b taylor marie henson and for for the brooklyn reel um so if you're uh, listening or around wednesday um tune into the brooklyn rail and otherwise you can catch me in ridgewood yeah <laughs> where i just like <laughs> mill about the streets now <laughs> fresh pond road yeah right by fresh pond road your old campaign website is still up so you might be yes. doing something else you might be active again or i am so yeah, I'm still involved. I yeah. I'm um you know, threatening to primary my city council person because she voted for this budget after a testing. This is Jen Gutierrez. I hope you're listening. Um I will primary you sis. Um it, she she vo- avowed voting against this budget that defunds our schools to the favor of the police. Um and yet she she she's aff- voted in the affirmative regardless. So I don't think her coalition is going to be as strong when she runs next mm. time because she, you know, reneged. She, she, she went back on her word. Um, so, um, which was, you know, to be expected from uh, Antonio Reynoso's handpicked replacement. Um, but aside from that, um, yeah, I, I don't know if I'm, yeah, I don't, I, it's, <laughs> I'm just involved. I'm just out yeah. here causing trouble. All right. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you to everyone who participated. Thank you to Horing and Scott and and Joey and and we'll uh, we'll we're not, we'll continue to end with the next show. We'll end to go, go into the next show. And thank you so much for being here. Remember to tune in every Sunday at eleven a.m. for Truth Power Show. Thank, thank you, you Joey. Thank, thank you. you.